All right. Well, I'm excited. Uh, it's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. This is always a great time. It's, it's nice to see a, a full room, nice to see new faces here, some old faces uh, that we haven't got to see much since the pandemic. Um, it just kind of feels like life is coming back a little bit, uh, which is appropriate for this day. So happy to see you. Uh, this Easter season, this year of the lectionary cycle, which is kind of the texts that, that go with each week when we meet, uh, this, this year's lectionary cycle takes us to one of the more interesting passages um, for celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Uh, this, these passages have empty tombs, they have angels making announcements, all that good stuff. But this is the year that the scripture for Easter doesn't actually have, you know, Jesus in it at all, which is a little odd. Uh, but Luke, in this, in this passage, uh, 24, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, 12, does give us a lot to think about. There's a lot about the idea of being a witness, about disbelief, about wonder, and about questions. And I know that you're probably already thinking about the real communion that takes place afterwards at the potluck, to which we hope you will all come. Even if you didn't have a chance to bring food, there's plenty for you to eat. I think the, I think the Willis's alone brought enough for everybody and if I need to pray over it and multiply it, I can. It's a class I took in seminary. So um, we hope you'll stay. So I will try not to take too much of your time. But um, I want to pay attention to what is said to us in the Gospel of Luke here because I think it's important. Let's reread the passage again. Chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 says this. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. These are the women that will be mentioned later on in the text. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? We'll get back to that question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified on the third day, rise again? Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who had told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. So the women experience this amazing thing. They go back to the 11 to tell them about it. And it says, the words seem to them like an idle tale. Now that is a loaded phrase in the scripture. The Greek here indicates that they believe it's in credible. In other words, non-credible. This couldn't possibly be correct, right? And you are familiar with hearing these kind of stories. We all are. Maybe they're from someone trying to sell you something, or maybe someone trying to present themselves as more successful to you than they probably really are. Maybe it's the latest hot news story that all the questionable people in your family are sharing on social media or your email at their old school. Or maybe you're just a parent like me, and you hear these stories all day, every day. Incredible. An alarm bell goes off on your head. Something inside of you, that sixth sense, says, "Uh, this can't be right. 
you've had that happen. I, I hope you have. If you've never had that happen, we probably need to talk. And in our story today, a group of women, who of course were very much second-class citizens in this culture and time, this group of women who are very close to Jesus, who are mentioned by name throughout the Gospels, are the very first witnesses to Christ's resurrection. And this is, of course, a very bold choice for Jesus and for the writer of the gospel. I mean, in this day and time, women were not even allowed to testify in legal proceedings. Their testimony was not considered valid at the time. They were considered unreliable, probably too emotional, not able to really bear witness in a court case. If you were writing this story and just making it up, you would never make a group of women be the first ones to the tomb to tell the story. So the disciples hear this story, and even though they know these women, even though they know them, they just don't believe the story they tell. Right? The male disciples. The male disciples who, incidentally, are currently hiding away while the women venture out to the tomb. The male disciples who literally ran away when the proverbial doo-doo hit the fan, and that's a theological term. The men who ran away and then very literally denied even knowing Christ when a young servant girl asked if they did. Those males, those male disciples did not believe these women who showed up who didn't run away, who were the first and were chosen to proclaim the resurrection before anyone else was. They pronounced it authoritatively from their hiding and having not actually experienced the event that this was not credible. Because obviously they have the authority to do that. I wonder how the women felt about that particular determination after having just talked to angels. My friend Brett Harris, who pastors uh, University Baptist, reminded me of a quote this week that I hadn't heard in a long time, and it made me laugh. Uh, Margaret Thatcher was quoted as saying once, if you want something said, ask a man. If you want something done, ask a woman. As a man who works almost exclusively with women, I can attest that there's at least some truth to this idea. And it feels like that kind of situation here. The disciples sit back, having hidden having missed the ball time and time again in the previous verses and pronounced judgment upon the women's testimony. And the disciples are an easy target here. But if I'm honest before you, and I try to be on Sunday nights, if I'm honest, I probably would have done the same thing. I really would. I rarely believe fantastic tales on the first try. you got to convince me a little bit, right? In fact, in another way, this very story is one of the stories in Scripture that really made me question my own faith at one point. Now, my problem wasn't about whether angels could exist or the resurrection might be able to happen. It wasn't about trusting these particular women and what they said like it was for those disciples. But it was more about the fact that all these stories in the Bible, especially the stories about the resurrection, didn't completely match. I'm not sure how much time you spent studying your scriptures, but we have four Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the Gospels according to, right? And they lay out the life of Jesus in different ways. But there are certain things that I always thought would completely match, and I had never really studied it for myself. I was kind of 
grew up thinking about, I'm not sure if I was raised to think this or if I came up with it on my own, but I was kind of grew up thinking about the Bible almost scientifically. Like it existed to give precise historical and scientific accounts of all the things that happened, right? And when I started studying it for myself, particularly the resurrection stories, all of a sudden I saw they didn't really match up. Things happened in different orders. Different people were different places at different times. It didn't seem to completely match up. And that was scandalous to me. That scandalized me. I wasn't sure if I was allowed to bring, believe any of it. Now that they aren't agreeing on every little detail. As if two people have ever recalled the exact same event in exactly the same way. Every time you get together with your friends from high school, okay, I didn't have any friends in high school, friends from college or other times in your life, and you begin to recall these stories, you begin to realize people remember things very differently. It doesn't make it any less true. It doesn't make it any less important. But we don't always recall the exact same things in the exact same way. So I, like the male disciples here, would probably have had my questions. And I have had my questions about the accounts here. But then in this story, unlike myself, unlike the other ten disciples who have their questions, there's Peter. Peter, always the quickest to act, always the most uh, impulsive of the group, whether it's walking on the water or cutting off the soldier's ear. And Peter just takes off running. While everyone else does forensics on the women's testimony, Peter runs to the tomb. He runs to an empty tomb to experience the incredible for himself. He sees the empty tomb. And he listens, even without the angels, he listens to that voice inside of him and he is amazed. He's amazed because, hallelujah, Christ is risen. All right, not bad. I threw it in the middle there. He's amazed. He's amazed because there is power in the resurrection story. He's amazed because whenever we get a glimpse of experiencing resurrection for ourselves, when we get to see even just a little bit that death does not get the final word, it amazes us. It's amazing that we proclaim true love, cross-shaped love, can never really be killed off. It's incredible. We proclaim that the creator of all things loves us to death and through the other side. It's incredible that we proclaim that disoriented women, dumbstruck deniers, and even the rocks themselves are all telling the story if we just have the ears to listen. We proclaim not that every detail matches up, but that nothing has ever been more true than resurrection, than the complete undoing of that which we fear most. And we know it. Many of us have glimpsed it firsthand. This life beyond the grasp of death, beyond that thing that we thought would end everything. And now we as resurrection people, get to tell the same kinds of incredible, idle tales to whoever will listen. Now we get to be the witnesses. And so Peter runs. The other ten stay, but Peter runs. And why does Peter run? How should he and how should we answer that strange question that the angels posed at the tomb to the women? Why did he go there? Why did the women go there? 
or to quote the angels, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? I have always loved this question as a pastor because honestly, it really preaches. Give me that one line and I can craft a sermon pretty quickly. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I mean, that is gold for a preacher. Why do you look for life where there is no life? That sermon writes itself. Why do you keep scrolling like it's going to make your life better when you know it will not? Why do you keep watching cable news like it will somehow enlighten you? Why do you keep returning to the same relational dynamics and expect that you'll suddenly find fulfillment this time? Why do we keep using the same substances that only bring death? Why do we look for the living among the dead? Just why do we do that? And if you read the question that way, that's a good question. Again, it'll preach, but it's also a loaded question. It's not really looking for an answer. It's kind of like when I am exasperated and I say to my child, why do you do that? I'm not actually asking a question that is seeking an answer. I already know the answer. That's an indictment, not an inquiry, right? You know those kind of questions that are more indictment than inquiry. And maybe that's what the angel meant there. Maybe it was an indictment. But for the first time as I was reading this passage this week, it never occurred to me that maybe this was an indictment. It wasn't an indictment. Maybe this was an inquiry intended to provoke a different kind of reflection. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I mean, what if that question was answered honestly? Why do I look for the living among the dead? Because this is where resurrection happens. It's where resurrection happens. I Googled it this week, and as it turns out, resurrection happens exclusively among the dead. 100%. Resurrection happens exclusively among the dead. That's the nature of resurrection. Why do I look for the living among the dead? Because this is where resurrection happened, and we are resurrection people. This is what we do. Like Jesus before us, we go to death and we look for life. Maybe we even bring it with us. The Bible tells us the gates of hell will not stand up against us. And it's, I don't know why, I never thought about this as a kid, but I always thought that, meant I'd be protected against anything. But gates are not offensive weapons. You wouldn't last very long if you attacked someone with a gate. No, gates are defensive. If the gates of hell won't stand up against us, that means we're attacking death itself. Why do I look for the living among the dead? Because that's where resurrection happens. We bear witness in the dark to the light to which we have been privy. We seek to bring hope to places and people that might otherwise seem hopeless. Joy to joyless, grace to the shamed, and loved, love to the lonely. Why do we look for the living among the dead? Because that is where resurrection happens, and we are resurrection people. This is what we are called to do. Why do we look for the living among the dead? Because, hallelujah, Christ is risen. Why do we look for the living among the dead? Because we're resurrection people. We are witnesses to life in the midst of a world of death. We believe in the incredible story of resurrection. And it is hard to believe in that without venturing out every now and again to the tombs to see it for yourself. If we choose to never go out to the places that our fear, our anxiety, and our own disorientation tell us to avoid at all costs, we'll never really see it 
The disciples who don't believe are the ones who are unwilling, unwilling to go among the dead. But we are called to be resurrection people. We don't run from the dark. We attempt to bring light to it. We don't stay safely tucked away from a world gone crazy. We bear witness, even when it seems like an idle tale to whoever hears us, we bear witness to life beyond death. We may not always believe it. We may not always be effective, but we can be faithful to the call. We can get up and go out. Now, maybe tonight, before we head into the potluck and back out into this world, we can own that as a mission. Maybe this Easter, maybe this Resurrection Sunday, we can remember this is our call. May we never stop looking for the living among the dead. Because hallelujah, Christ is risen. Let's pray.